evangelism in churches of every color and scheme. And so I felt that, uh, that the Lord would lead him and give us some insight that will be helpful for us in the church series as we're going, as we've been doing this for a number of months. And I felt that just this extra facet while he's with us would help us and, uh, in this particular series. So I'm going to ask Brother Messer to come. Let's give him a good hand this morning and he's going to minister to us about the church. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad you're here? Now, Brother Mitchell's right. Not too many people I do this for. <laughs> We've had a lot of, I just might add, you've got a tremendous blessing here having Brother and Sister Mitchell as your pastors. I've known these people since we were in Bible school together. Then after we got saved, and you're going to serve the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I've really learned to appreciate them. And what he says is true to a degree about evangelists hating Sunday morning. And, and that's only when you're evangelists. Now, when I was a pastor, it's different. You get into a uh, uh, new type of a scene. You're orientated different. You have to get up. That's part of your life. When you're evangelist, you're going every night, and Sunday morning, you think, oh. But praise God. Hallelujah. I still got a little bit of the uh, pastoral rise and shine in me, and a little bit of the evangelistic sleep in, so I can just do whatever I have to do. Praise the Lord. I'm going to start this morning, and I really don't know what we're going to do here, except just try and follow the Holy Spirit, and uh, that's... I think probably the most important thing of all. Amen? Let's pray and ask God for guidance and direction and uh, just be obedient to the Spirit. Father, we thank you this morning because we know that you're here. And God, we feel your presence and your anointing and your power. And we pray, God, that your Spirit will just guide us and that he'll move upon us and that he will direct us today, that we can follow in the ways that you would have us to follow in. And, Lord, you have something for each one of us. And, God, we want to be obedient to that. And, Lord, we give you praise, and we ask you to just take charge of our mind and every part of us that we might receive and that we might give out. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. I want to begin this morning by reading uh, the second chapter of Acts. Well, let's move over to the first chapter first, and then we'll turn to the second chapter of Acts. Book of Acts, chapter 1, beginning with the first verse. Former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up, and after through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he was showed himself alive after his 
his passing by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, and they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times of the seasons of the Father hath put into his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the earth. Then I want you to look over to the second chapter of Acts. It says, the first verse, and when they, the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as in the fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues. And as the Spirit gave them utterance, and... Then down in the twelfth verse, and it says, after this experience began to happen, it said, and, and they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. And Peter, standing up in the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose." seeing that this is but the third hour of the day, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Now, one of the things that I was noticing here, Brother Mitchell had mentioned he would like us to share a little bit this morning on the, the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit, the meaning and the power of the Holy Spirit in the church today. And I was thinking about this because in the book of Acts, we know that most of us that have studied this and have looked into it and read it, you're aware of the fact that this is actually when the church was established. Uh, we talk about the church, but the church as we know it and as we, meet, as we understand it actually began on this day when there came a rushing mighty wind among those 120 that were assembled together there in the upper room. This was the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think it was a coincidence that God chose that time to start the church itself. I've often wondered about this many, many times because 
Uh, there are those who are moving in certain uh, denominations and certain groups who have not fully or totally accepted the power of the Holy Spirit as being necessary for the church today, as long as salvation is there. Uh, that's all that's necessary. But according to the word that the church actually was born or started in this power. And this was the very thing that God used to cause the church to begin to operate. Now, I want you to notice in that first verse that we read there, and this was really a blessing to me because it, it kind of reminds me of uh, some other churches that I know of in the world today. In fact, if you read this eighth ver eight verse very closely, it makes you think of Prescott, Arizona. It said, But ye shall receive power. Now, he was talking about this Holy Spirit, and this was the forming of the church. This was actually before the day of Pentecost of what was going to happen. He was telling them what was going to happen. He said, Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, I told you the other night about the young man that told me. He said, You mean to tell me that if I haven't spoke with tongues and, and if this hasn't happened, that I haven't received the power? I said, Yeah, I, I hate to be adamant about it, but I'm going to have to tell you that. Because Jesus made it very plain here and clear that they were going to have a power, but the power was going to come after they received the Holy Ghost. So the power they received was through the Spirit of God, and not just their, uh, the fact that they had accepted. These disciples, they had believed in Jesus. They had seen the resurrection. They were Christians. They were born again. But they had not had this endowment of power for ministry yet. And this is what the ministry of the church and of that body was all about, was receiving the endowment of this power and launching out into it. Now, he said, after you've received this power, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, I've heard many denominational men stand and say that uh, you receive power to witness, and when you're saved, you're saved by the Holy Spirit, and this is what he meant, that you're going to receive power and you're going to go out and witness. Well, that's true. I believe that you are going to go out and witness and tell others about Jesus Christ, but I believe that there's far more to this doctrine than that. And it's not just talking about witnessing, but he said you're going to receive this power and you're going to evangelize your community. You're going to start. Here you are in Jerusalem right now. And when you get together and there's something going to happen, there's going to be an inflow of the Holy Spirit, that rushing mighty wind, the power of God, and the Holy Spirit is going to make His descent. And when this happens, you're going to rise up in power, in authority, and you're going to evangelize Jerusalem. Now, you're not going to stop in Jerusalem, but you're going to go on into Judea and to Samaria and city by city by city by city until the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, a lot of times we don't really put it together in that fashion. We just think, well, we're going to be a witness here. Others will be a witness here. But I think what he was doing was actually setting out a principle of the work of the Holy Spirit in that body to branch out city by city by city, until it had actually covered the entire globe. Now, can you really stop and think the effects that the church would have on the world 
if, if, if all of God's people could catch this vision, if everybody would see it and begin to branch out, just like the, the church right here has done. Now, you've started out here in Prescott, and you begin to evangelize Prescott. You've spread out into Tucson. You've spread out into many other cities, Flagstaff, uh, Havasu City, and all of these city by city. And I, actually, we were talking last night about uh, the promised land actually being the place or the type of a deeper experience with God. And I believe, really, this is what God was telling Joshua. He said, you're going over there, and he said, you're going to go in, you're going to take Jerusalem, wheresoever the soles of your feet shall trod, that shall be your inheritance. And he said, you're going to conquer, and you're going to take it. And you're going to go into this promised land, and city by city by city, you are going to overcome and take this land for God. Well, in this New Testament vision, in essence, it's the same thing. That by, we start right here in Jerusalem, and city by city by city, we're going to reach out and conquer the world. Now, the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit's operation in the church is to fulfill that duty, to evangelize. Now, we can get down into a lot of different facets of the operation of the Holy Spirit in the church. The individual power, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, the operation of the Spirit among the body of Jesus Christ. But the main and the overall purpose, I believe, is for the church to reach out and to gain control of all the outlying areas and each one of these new churches and new areas that have sprung up city by city, they reach out a little bit farther and the next one reaches out a little bit farther and it just keeps on spreading until it's covered the incomplete globe until everyone has heard the message of Jesus Christ. Now, to do this without the power of the Holy Spirit is impossible. It just can't be done. This is where it all started. Here was Peter and John. And I, I've always thought about Peter because right after Jesus had ascended into heaven, Peter was a, well, he was a human. Amen. He's a good example of a human being. We a lot of times think that the disciples and the apostles, they were set aside. But old Peter... He was a good example of just being a plain, ordinary human being. He, he was zealous. He was full of enthusiasm. He had a lot of a zeal in his life. He wanted to do something for God. And every time the opportunity was there, you see Peter right out in the front. And when everybody else, when Jesus told them that the world would turn against him, Peter said, Oh, God, not me. Everybody else will, but not me. See, at that time, Peter hadn't quite realized he was human yet. And he said, I won't do it no matter what anybody. I'll go to death with you, God. The Lord said, Peter, I don't want to discourage you, but before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, oh, God, no, not me. I love you, Lord. I know that you have the, the word of life. I know you've given me all these things, but I'd never do it. God said, you do it. Well, you know the story, how Jesus, when he was brought before the chief priests and and he was found guilty, and people were jeering and mocking him. And suddenly this great evangelist that Peter was so caught up with, and this one that he just wanted to be like more than anybody else and pattern his, his life after and have a ministry just like he had, everything just went down the tubes right there because nobody liked him anymore. He was a rebel. He was looked down upon. They were all against him. Peter began to think in his own mind, I don't know if I want to be like that or not. Pretty soon someone came by and said, Peter, are you one of these men? I saw you with him. You're one of his disciples. Oh, no, I've never known him. 
Never seen him. I tell you, I've never seen him before. Well, he repented and he came back out and he got on fire and he was zealous again. But then we see him on the day of uh, the ascension where Jesus said after he had raised from the dead and he came back and he ministered to the disciples and then he was caught up into heaven and Peter left. The angel was standing there and said, why stand you here gazing into heaven? He said, this same Jesus that you saw taken away is going to come back in like fashion. And so Peter walked away. He went on his way, and he felt discouraged. He was down here. His human side was showing again. And he told the disciples, said, I go up fishing. And there he was. Uh, he was going to go back out on his boat. He, he was discouraged. Now, it's obvious for a person that has been involved. And I think you people, you can associate even with your own pastor. You've been with him for many years. You've... You've appreciated his ministry. He's been a blessing to you. Uh, prayed for many of you and healed your sicknesses and, and closed up some of your emotional wounds and led you to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and after a number of years of that, you, de you develop a very strong attachment to that individual. Uh, not to say that this man isn't human, but Jesus, they had nothing that they could find wrong about him. He was perfect in all of his ways. Well, this man had lived with these disciples, and they had watched him, and he was a picture of perfection. Can you imagine what it would have been like to actually sit under the ministry of Jesus for three solid years and have that man minister and deal with you and fill your life and impart into you the truths, and, and they'd learn to depend on him, and they, they, they used his decisions and his judgment, and whatever he said was law, and they did it. He was a leader. Now, suddenly that leader was taken away. And here they were alone. They knew that he had spoken to them and said they were going to do his works. And they knew that he had given them a command to go forth in the name of Jesus Christ, but still they were alone. And I'm sure that we could have all shared the feelings of Peter and many others and wondering, well, he said it, but he's gone and he's not here to instruct me anymore. And I don't know if, I've, if I'm going to have enough power to do it. Then they begin to remember what Jesus had said, But ye shall receive power, tarry ye, until ye be endued with power from on high. And that they were to assemble together. Well, here they are. They came back together. They got in this upper room, and they began to cry out to God. Now, they were believers, and they could have gone out and started a church, and they could have begun to work. But Jesus said, you've got to wait a while because there's a purpose for this uh, moving or this coming of the Holy Ghost upon the church because that's where its power, its authority, its wisdom, its anointing, and all these situations are. That's exactly where it comes from. And without that, you're going to be defeated. And so they assembled in that upper room. And when they assembled together there, the Bible says that the power of the Holy Spirit descended upon them. Well, Peter, after the power of the Holy Ghost descended upon him, he just come unglued. He, he had forgotten his discouragement, forgotten everything else. And here was a great crowd that had gathered around him. And he stood up and began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Three thousand souls came to Jesus. Now, brother, that's enough to get you downright excited. The power of God working through that man by the power of the Holy Spirit to win men and women to Jesus. Now, there's one primary principle that the church cannot afford to forget. And that is all that the true church of God does 
it accomplishes will be done through the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, there's a lot of churches out here that are operating, and they may have crowds of people. And they may uh, be functioning as a church as far as uh, the legal term is concerned. But as far as the true body of Christ, they've got something drastically missing. And it'll never be able to accomplish that because it has to come through the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit in the church. Now, Jesus said, you're going to receive power. And what he was saying was, for the first time on this day of Pentecost, that the fullness of the Godhead was going to come down and dwell inside the body of a man. Now, that is one of the most beautiful truths. I could talk on that from now until Jesus comes and never get tired of it. The Bible said Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. That means that he was number one, but I'm one of the brethren. He was the firstborn from the dead. Not on the day that he was born in the manger, but from the day that he was raised from the dead, he went through life. He experienced life. He experienced sin. He experienced death. He experienced resurrection. Every man that has lived upon the face of the earth is going to experience those same things. Life, sin, death, and resurrection. You say, Jesus didn't experience sin. Yes, he did. The only difference between him and you and me is that we committed it. He willfully took it upon him because he bore the sins of all of us. And those sins were placed upon him. He committed no sin. He was perfect in all his ways, but he felt it. He knows what you're going through. And so he was the firstborn among many brethren. When he died and when he rose from the grave, it gave the Holy Spirit the opportunity. He said, if I don't go, the paraclete or the comfort of the Holy Spirit will not come. This opened the door for the Spirit of God to come down and indwell man and to fill them with the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, you see, the only basic difference between Jesus and between you and me is that the Bible says that Jesus of Nazareth, whom was anointed of the Holy Ghost without measure. Now, you and I, we have the power of God in our lives, but we have it by measure. And this used to be a puzzle to me at one time. I, I couldn't understand that because I thought, well, if you've got it, you've got it. If you don't, you don't. And if you have power with God, you have it. If you don't, you don't. Either you're serving the Lord or you're not. But, you know, one day God spoke to me when I was praying for people, and He said, you are filled with the Spirit of God by measure. And I could not understand that. I thought, Lord, now how could a person be filled by measure? Do you mean that if I'm down here praying in tongues, and I get filled with the Holy Ghost, Brother Mitchell's over here, and he gets filled with the Holy Ghost, that you gave him more of the Holy Ghost than you gave me? I couldn't understand that. And God began to show me a picture. I, had, I never forgot it. It made such an uh, impression upon my mind. I saw in the Spirit while I was praying this glass. And the glass was empty. Or rather, it wasn't empty. It was full of rocks, but it had no water. It had, it had rocks all the way up the top. And then I saw this water coming into the glass. And as the water came in, the, the water level came to the top until it reached the top of the glass. And here I saw this glass 
full of rocks and full of water. And God said, reach in and take out a rock. And so I reached in and I, I pulled out a rock. And I noticed the water level came down a little bit. He said, take out another one. And I took it out. And another. And another. And the more rocks that I took out, the lower the water level came. Till finally I had it almost down to halfway. And as I brought it down, then I saw this water and it came and it filled back up to the top again. He said, now there's room for more water. Take out another rock. And the more rocks I'd take out, the more it would come down again until there was room for more water. And he said, so likewise is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And suddenly, this thing became a reality to me, and I began to see it in a way that I had never saw before, because we are people that are born in sin. Now, you know when you give your life to Jesus and you get saved, it's beautiful. It's, it's a wonderful experience. There's no question about it. You know God's done a work in your heart and your life. But, let's be realistic about it. You're a long shot from being perfect. Amen. You've got some spots in there that really need rubbing off. And you know, I've often thought about, it's like a diamond when it's taken out of the mine. It's, it's, it's a diamond in the rough isn't very pretty. I saw one and I thought, man, diamonds, I love diamonds. But I looked at that thing and I thought, that doesn't do a thing for me. But it's got to be polished. And it's rubbed. And it's smoothed. And you know, sometimes this is the way we are. When God gets us saved, we're a diamond in the rough. And it takes a lot of situations and a lot of difficulties sometimes for God to get our rough edges smoothed off. In fact, that person that you don't like so well or, or the individual that has authority over you that's always grating on you the wrong way, you ever stop and think God might be using him as a pile just to smooth you out and to make you pretty and shiny. Hallelujah. And we've got a lot of problems. So we know that even though we're saved, we're born again, Power of Jesus Christ is in our life. We still have got a lot of difficulties there. Now, these difficulties, and I'm not going to go into detail because I'm not here to give a discourse on demons, uh, but they have a lot to do with spiritual forces. And uh, I'm not saying that the person is possessed or anything of that nature, but the enemy has bound certain areas of their life, things that they have not yet learn to be able to release to God and to give to God, and they need to overcome these things. And so, as they overcome them, each time you gain a victory over one of these things that binds your life, every time you overcome one, that's just like taking a rock out of the glass. Because we are a vessel. The Spirit of God fills us. Now, the more that you give to God the greater part that He can fill. You see, God doesn't give me a greater power than He gives you or somebody else a greater power than... Say. He doesn't pour His Spirit out by measures on some and a little bit less on another. But many times there are things in our life that we have to learn to overcome before the Spirit of God can actually use us the way that He really wants to do. Now, the power of the Spirit in the church is a very important thing of being able to flow and to minister. But what is really important is the church being able to overcome through the Spirit of God these things that bind their life that they might become that effective force for God in the body of Jesus Christ. Now, I'll tell you, when this happens, little by little, you're going to find that you're, you're, you're getting stronger and more full. 
It's just like in the Scriptures. I've had people come to me and say, Now, I know God wants to use the body of Christ, and I know that He wants to uh, use each one of us. And I'm a member of the body. I'm a part of the church body, and I know that God wants to use me. But I just can't seem to do it. I know that, that I am a child of God, and I've heard it preached that if I am a child and an heir of God, then that makes me a joint heir with Christ Jesus. And if I'm joint heirs with Christ Jesus, then the power He had, I've got. Why don't it work for me? Now, we have to be realistic for ourselves, too. You know, a lot of times we wonder. I know I did. I believed in healing. I cannot honestly think of a time when I did not believe in divine healing. I cannot even remember a time when I questioned God's ability to heal. I'm not trying to put on some big uh, perfection front for you here or something of that nature, but it's true. I've been raised that way, and I cannot remember of a time when I actually questioned God's word or God's ability or God's willingness to heal. But I did question the fact that every time I prayed for somebody, they die or they get worse. I couldn't understand that. And I said, Lord, I know that you said it. And I know that you meant it. And I know that you healed the sick. I've seen it happen. And I believe your word. I'm one of your children too. And if I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ Jesus, then everything that Christ has is mine. I know that too. God, why don't we work? It must be me. Other people do it. It works. What's wrong with me? Well, God began to show me about this part of removing the rocks, but he showed me another thing. I remember reading the scripture where he said, and I don't, can't think the exact location of it. You can look it up later if you want to, where he said that a servant when he is a child, or the heir when he is a child, differeth not from that of a servant. You know how to even think about that. The heir of a chi uh, uh, the child, the heir when he's a child, differeth not of that of a servant. And if you were to go over in the Holy Land and go into a big estate, I had a man that was in my church not too long ago, Doctor Leadman, a medical doctor who was in a man that was born again, and he was saved. $4 million, or not when he saved, when he was born, $4 million deposited in his account. And he was the heir of this great, wealthy Jewish businessman over in Israel. He was educated in degrees in many, many areas. And uh, tremendous education the man had. When he got saved, his $4 million was taken out of his account and put back in his dad's. even accept his son. If he goes over there to see his parents, he says, I don't have no son. My son's dead. Go on. Get out of here. Don't bother me with that memory. And he lost everything, but he gave his life to Jesus. And he shared with me some of the things that happens in these teaching and the education over there. They don't have a school system like we've got here. But if a man is wealthy, he hires all these teachers. 
to come in and to teach and to tutor that little heir and to educate him in the ways of the world. Well, now this man has servants and he has workers and maids and cooks and laborers and all kinds of people that work upon his estate. And their children are entitled to the same good education as that little heir. The tutor's coming in anyway. And so he just allows these children to come in and be taught the same way as the heir's being taught. And they have a uniform that they put on. All the Jewish children put on these little uniforms. They come to school. They get in there. They sit down. The teacher comes in and he begins to educate them. Now, if you, as a visitor, were to walk in and you would see this scene. Here's a teacher. A whole bunch of Jewish children sitting there being taught. All Jewish. All have on the same uniform. All pretty close to the same age. So, from the outward standpoint, they look very much alike. You couldn't go down the line and say, okay, this one's the heir. You wouldn't be able to tell me which one's the heir and which one's not. They all have the same uniform. They don't look any different. About the same age. Because even though this child is the heir, the inheritance of this whole estate belongs to him. Those millions of dollars that his father has earned and made is his. But what man would entrust his entire fortune or his, his estate into the hands of an immature child? You see, when he's a child, he differeth not from that of a servant because that child is not yet developed. And he has certain things that he has to overcome. He has to develop wisdom and intelligence and be taught and be trained and, and, and educated before he is able to handle his father's money. And then when he gets to that place, then his father can entrust it to him, knowing that he's competent and that he's able and that he can go on and make this work for him and keep this estate going because his son has been trained, he's ready to go. And in, in the same token, this is the way we are with our inheritance from God. When we get saved, there are things that are inside of us that we need to overcome. And we have a measure of the Spirit of God, sure. You know that. If you didn't, you couldn't keep going. God fills us. And we have the fullness of the Holy Ghost. But I'm saying all that to say this, not to make you feel smaller to what you have. The part that is to come is so much greater than what you now possess. Brother, it makes you want to work harder to get more to see the reality of what you have. When I say work harder, I don't mean work harder that we're saved by our works. But I'm saying this, that once we're saved, we labor and we work for Jesus and we try to overcome our, our, our weaknesses that the Spirit of the Lord might manifest through us. And the more that we grow and the more that we develop and the more rocks that we take out of the glass, the greater capacity there is for the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul said, I die daily. I have to crucify this old man each day. And I have to overcome new things in my life that I might be filled with the Spirit of God that it may operate through the body of Jesus Christ. When he talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and he began to mention the gifts, he said all of these gifts are working for the edification of the church. And what it boils down to, edification means to build up, or to build up or to strengthen the church. 
And this is the whole purpose of our own growth and development. Not just for us as a personal individual, but to operate as a spiritual body among the believers and to spread out, not just from Jerusalem, but to Samaria, to Judea, all over the face of the earth, and to lead other men and women to Jesus Christ, and to cause this gospel to be spread completely around the globe. I remember I did something one time that really helped me to grow. I'm not suggesting you to do that. In fact, some people couldn't handle it. <laughs> I didn't know if I could after I started it. But anyway, there were things that I needed to overcome in my life. And sometimes, you know, one of the most difficult things, you want to be used by the Spirit of God, one of the most difficult things is to admit to yourself that you have a problem. You, you, can, you can find the problems in everybody else. But to find your own, oh, you know, that's not a problem. You talk to old drunkard, I don't have no problem. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not bound to that. I just like it. man is smoking cigarettes. I quit any time I want to. I just don't want to. And it's, it's difficult for him to admit the fact that he has something he has to overcome. Now, I remember I had to do something one time. It was really, it was unusual. And... I, I got to thinking, I thought, now, now I'm doing pretty good. I, I don't smoke. We don't chew. We don't go with the girls who do, you know. Amen. That was a long time ago, but it always stuck with me. And I live a life for Jesus. I go to church. I pray in tongues. I, I'm going, doing pretty good. And yet, I could read the Scriptures and it said, Whosoever say he has no sin, deceiveth himself. And I kept thinking, I know that I've got weaknesses. Probably a lot of them I just don't want to see. So I said, I'm going to try an experiment. And I went to three people that were very close to me, that probably knew me better than anybody else, and not, uh, I mean, that were very good, solid, close, Friends, people that I knew I could depend on. And I went to them and I said, all right, I, I'm, I'm doing something and I want you to help me. None of the three knew that I had gone to the other individual. This was just between me and them. And I said, now this is strictly between me and you. I said, I want you to do something for me. He said, all right, what do you want me to do? I said, I want you to tell me all my weak points. You, I wish you could have seen the expressions that I got on their faces. Man, I'm your friend. I want to stay that way. <laughs> if I start telling you what's wrong with you, we're going to be enemies real quick. That's one of the things that really helps you to grow. You know, and you can take something like that. And he says, no, I can't do that. I said, you got to. Well, he says, I don't think I could. And I said, I want you to. He says, you probably promise you won't get mad at me? I said, I promise. I said, I want you to tell me what you see as a person in your eyes where I need help. That John, I don't like that. I mean, to me, it looks wrong. Now, I know, brother, when you open yourself up to some people and say, tell me what's wrong with me, you're just asking for trouble. Believe me, I mean, there's a lot of people that be right there to oblige and uh, 
they want to they really want to rip you off with everything well that's this has to be taken into account that's why there were only three people that i went to and there was only a uh, people that I knew would be honest with me. And so he went down the line and he told me what he felt if I had a weak point where he thought it would be. And I wrote him down. Then I went to the next person that I was going to, and I asked them exactly the same thing. They didn't know I'd gone to the other fellow. I said, now, if I have some weaknesses, I want you to tell me about it. And so they proceeded to tell me the same thing. So I wrote what they said down. Then I went to another person. And I asked them the same thing. And they gave me a list and I wrote them down and I thanked them. Sincerely. I didn't say thank you and then went away thinking that dirty rat, you know, he's worse than I am. <laughs> Amen. But I was sincere about it. And I wrote it down. Then I went home and I took the list and I compared everything that those three people had said. And when all three of them came up with the same thing, I underlined it and I said, all right, John, there's something you really need to work on. And I found myself, even when I saw the three that they had agreed on, I found myself saying, well, now, wait a minute, you know, there's a good reason for that. Then I had to come to grips with myself and say, all right, now be honest with yourself. Whether there's a reason or whether there's not a reason, you want to overcome these things that you can be an individual of God and a power in the hand of God. So whether there's reasons or not, you're going to have to come to grips with it. It's not right. It's wrong. And do something about it. And you know, the Lord began to help me that way. And I began to grow. In fact, one time I asked God, I said, Lord, you can tell me everything that's wrong with my life without any any biased feelings at all, I said, Lord, tell me. I said that one night when I was praying, going to bed at 10.30. I said, just open me up. I want to be honest. I want to see myself as I am. And I might say I have never done that again. Amen. <laughs> I went to bed, 10.30. I laid down, went to sleep. At 11 o'clock, God woke me up and He gave me something. And I wrote it down. And I thought, wow, you know, I never looked at that. I went back to sleep, 11.30, God woke me up again, gave me some more. And you know, that went all night. And by the time I got up in the morning, I thought I was the foulest and most ungodly person that I have ever lived or seen in my life. I got out on my knees and began to repent and said, God, I must not even be saved. <laughs> and the Lord began to show me that I was saved, but I just had a long ways to go in development. One of the purposes of the Holy Spirit in the body of Jesus Christ is to work as a reflection or a light. And to open up your life that you can see yourself and begin to show yourself the problems that you have and overcome them. And then fill that void and that cavity that you might be able to go ahead and minister for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how much time do I have here, brother? Five more minutes. Twenty more minutes. Fifteen. <laughs> it, it, the, the morning service starts at eleven, right? Okay. Hallelujah. I want to, at the toward the end of this, uh, just take a little time and open it up for questions and answers for some of you if you want to. I don't know that I've got the answer, but if I have, I'll try and give it to you. And if I don't, maybe somebody else does. Amen? But it's a tremendous thing when we think of what the Holy Spirit... Now, Jesus said that the fullness of the power of God 
on this day when he came down was going to fill a man and through this power he was going to be able to go out and conquer and to do great things in the name of Jesus. The Bible says in Acts 1.8 as we've already read it, ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses and that he would empower a man with a bold spirit and a power to go out and to bring other men into the same experience that he had. Now, I always like to look at it in this fashion. It's like a book that I read a long time ago about a man, a scientist, who was over in another country and he had developed an airplane. And it was a quite an invention that he came up with. And he built this in a, in a scale model and he had rented a big cathedral and he would invited all the other scientists to come. They were going to look at this plane and discuss it and decide as to whether it should be produced or not. And so the night that this was to be shown, all these scientists and their wives and different ones came from all over until that big cathedral was just completely full, packed out. When they came in, the only thing they saw sitting there on the platform was this scale model of this airplane that the scientists had made. But the master scientist, the one that had made it, was nowhere to be found. They didn't know where he was. Finally, when the precise moment came to start, exactly 7.30 was when the meeting was supposed to begin. That scientist must have been in the Mitchell family. Amen. No scientists, but the plane began to run. And it began to vibrate. It turned around, it taxied, it went back to the end of the platform, got a running start, took off into the air. It flew around all through that auditorium, went up into climbs, down into dives. It did all kinds of maneuvers that they had not seen an airplane do before. And then uh, toward the end of it, it came back and it swooped down over the audience. And as it swooped down over the audience, compartments in the wing opened up and little paper bombs dropped down on the heads of the people. And then it swooped back up, flipped upside down, came back around over the platform and landed. There was no wires. There was no controls. Nobody knew where the master scientist was and they were amazed. And they all applauded and they clapped the great demonstration that this man had given. Well, after the applaud was given, the master scientist came down. He was way upstairs in the projection room. He walked down, and what he had done was operate this airplane by remote control from the projection room. And he was doing all this from up there, and they thought it was tremendous. And so they all voted that it was a, a wonderful design. The plane should be made a real thing. It should be produced. They got together, and they had the airplane produced. And when it was produced, here it was, the full-size airplane. Instead of a scale model, it was the full-size. Now the master scientist, instead of going up into the projection room and operating it by remote control, he opened the door, climbed inside the airplane, and flew it from within. And I like to think of that the same way the Holy Spirit uses you and I today. In the Old Testament, the Bible said the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. It said the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson mightily, and he slew the Philistines. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Elijah. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Elisha. It came upon Moses. And it talks about the Spirit of the Lord coming upon them. 
But after this day in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit had come to operate through the church, instead of the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of the Lord coming upon a man, he got down, the full-size scale, the, the full-size uh, individual had been created now because Jesus had died, rose from the grave, made a, a, a way for man to be set free, made a way for man to live as the sons of God himself. So he didn't have to operate. The way he did before, now the Holy Spirit come down inside the man, just like he did in Jesus Christ, and operated him from within. See, that's what makes it different. That's what makes it so marvelous in our lives today that the Holy Spirit is actually dwelling inside of us. This is what Paul was talking about when he stood up and he said, I live. You know that I'm alive because you can see me up here ministering. You can see me preaching and performing miracles and doing things like this. I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. It's not me, it's Him. I've noticed in my own ministry. I don't know if I should tell you. Well, I will. I'll go ahead. I don't like to say things that might bring questions in the minds of people. And these are things that we don't totally understand, and I don't totally understand them, and I don't claim to, but uh, happens. I've noticed many times when God will speak to me and give me a revelation in the Spirit to deal with someone about hearts and lives, a lot of times that when God begins to move in this particular area, that it's as though there's a separation now, I don't know how to explain this, but I've had my close friends, people that know me very well and that have been well acquainted with me. You wouldn't notice it so much. You know me, but you haven't been that close. And a lot of them that know me real well say that they've come to me and said, Brother Messer, something happens. When you go to minister to people, there's a change. Even an expression in your face, in your eyes, and everything else is a change. And we don't understand that. Well, I don't understand it either, but a lot of times as God begins to move this way in a heavy way, it's as though me, myself, is sort of drawn to the side. I don't know how to explain it. I know what's going on. And I do have a control over it to a degree. I mean, I can stop and sit down anytime I want to. But there comes a place of submission to where it seems as though I'm drawn to the side. As though I'm an onlooker. And that this is going on in my body. The Holy Spirit is doing this. There's times it is more so than others. I, I, I don't have the answers to all this, but I feel that it is merely uh, coming to a place of letting the old man be subjected so that the Holy Spirit can actually operate in your life in a full, fluent manner. And you can learn to live and to walk into that place and to be obedient to the God. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not in any way saying that when the power of God comes on you, you don't have no control over it. I've heard people tell me that. that oh, Brother Messer, God just took hold of my feet and I just danced all over the place and uh, I couldn't stop. I said, you just killed the whole thing right there. And they said, what do you mean? They said, I, I said, you said you couldn't stop. Well, I couldn't. I said, well, then it wasn't the Holy Spirit. 
It was some other kind of spirit. <laughs> because when the Holy Spirit moves upon you, you can stop, church. You can do what you want to do. God's not going to go against your will. But it's getting to the place of submitting that will to where the individual is actually drawn aside and the Spirit of God flows freely through that life. Paul said, I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth through me. I crucify. And old Saul of Tarsus died on the road to Damascus. But every now and then, I feel a little bit of Saul trying to come back to life. And so I have to just kill him and put him aside so that Jesus can operate fluently through me. Also, that day of Pentecost, it meant that there was going to be given an indwelling teacher inside the lives of God's people to be able to minister and, and to teach them the ways of the Lord. And this is another thing that is so important to me that I have seen. Uh, you people have come to grips with, even by your own pastor, is training and teaching these young ministers and sending them out. You know, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And there's something about it. People think that they've got to have a, a, a long, long education in order to be a, a minister of the gospel or to tell people about Jesus Christ. And I've had many converts come to me and say, Brother Messler, I want to go out and do a work for Jesus, but, you know, I'm just not ready. I don't have the training, and I, I can't witness until I learn more about the Bible because there will be questions coming up. And I said, Brother, you don't need to know a lot about the Bible to witness a witness is just telling what he saw or what has happened. If you're standing on the corner and you see an automobile accident, a policeman comes up to you and says, Now, I want you to tell me what you saw. I want a witness on this thing. And you say, Well, I'm sorry, sir. I'd love to, but I've got to go back to school and ed educate myself. I might not uh, be able to spell the words right or to say them right. I want to be able to do it just so, so I can be a good witness. He'd say, Hogwash. I haven't got time for you to go to school. I want to know what you saw. Tell them wrong. Say it wrong. I don't care. Just tell me. Well, that's basically what a witness is. A witness is witnessing to what God has done in their heart and their life. And what God has done to them or what they have seen Him do in somebody else's life. And so we can be a witness to these things. I've often said, how much power does it take to tell somebody, Jesus died for your sins and He loves you. I was a sinner lost and bound and, and had no joy or hope or peace within me, but God saved me, and I don't even feel that way, and He wants to do that for you. It doesn't take any knowledge. But it meant that this teacher would come and help us in these areas. And you know, He is our teacher, too. And I found that a person is sincere, one of the great works of the Holy Spirit among the body of Christ is to keep you going on a straight line. And if you follow the power of the Holy Spirit and the guiding of the Holy Spirit, you'll stay on the straight line. And I know this is a Sunday school class, but in a point like that, it doesn't hurt to go ahead and say amen. A lot of times is we don't want to listen to what the teacher's saying. But he's right there instructing and guiding you and leading you. And if we'll follow the instructions of the Holy Spirit, that's why Jesus told him. He said, he's going to come. And there's a lot of things that I, I can't give unto you now because he said, you're not ready to receive them yet. There's got to be a big overcoming in your life. You're going to be filled with the power. You're going to have strength and things that you've never had before. And then He's going to teach you these things and guide you and lead you out 
you're going to be obedient unto me and unto my spirit. And then he's not only going to be a teacher, but it talked about him as being a guide, the spirit of truth, and a guide which would lead us and direct us. And I found that, you know, I've looked back. I remember when I started in the ministry. And, and when I first started out in the Bible school, and God had given me a very unusual vision when he called me into the ministry, and I, I thought that I was going to be an evangelist. But when I first started out, I knew that the door had opened for me to pastor this church. And I didn't know why, but I went ahead and did that. And then I thought I was going to be a pastor from that day on. Then I ended up evangelizing again, or going out as an evangelist. And little by little, and God was shaping and forming and molding. And even these times when I was a pastor, I could look back on them about 10 or 15 years. At the time that all this was happening to me, I really didn't know what was happening. Just like the gifts of the Holy Spirit when I was invited to speak in my home church down at Whittier. And this was before anything had really happened in my life. And I got up there to preach and all of a sudden it was as though you would have taken a, a great heavy barbell and put it on my shoulder. And that weight, it just seemed like it was driving me down through the seat that I was sitting in up there. And I didn't know what to do. There was about 300 people there. Here I was, a punk kid, 18 years old. And first sermon I'd ever really preached. I didn't know what in the world to do. And I leaned over to Brother Hamilton. He was the pastor of the church at that time. I said, Brother Hamilton, I said, I feel so heavy. I don't know what's wrong. I said, I don't think I can. I think when it comes time for me to preach, I can't stand up and get out of the chair. It's pushing me down in the chair. He just smiled, you know, and patted me on the leg. And he says, you'll be all right, John. Don't worry. You'll be all right. He thought I was just scared. And this thing just kept pressuring me and pushing me down. And it got hold of me. 